And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Hey everybody and welcome to a very special episode of Two True Freaks. My name is Luke Giaconetti and I am here tonight with my very special guest, the Irredeemable Shag. Woohoo! How you doing, Shag? I'm doing fantastic, Luke. I am really looking forward to this. Uh, Luke and I have been talking about getting together to do a podcast for a while. And uh, we've been on a couple together, but it's always like a big mess of like 50 people. So we never really get to go at each other's throats one-on-one. Yes. yes. So, uh... Yeah, so uh, this is this is one we've been talking about for a while. This is kind of a unique thing, huh? Yeah. Now, Jack, let, let me ask you a question. Yes. If I was to ask you uh, to name a show that started outside of the United States but was uh-huh. successfully imported into the United States, it's uh-huh. a, it's a science fiction show. Yes. That began in the 1960s. Okay. Okay. And the main character is an alien. All right, and he comes to Earth and hangs out with a small group of humans. Yeah, and he defends the Earth from threats. Sometimes the threats are extraterrestrial. Sometimes they're terrestrial to Earth. Okay, and, all right, I'm uh, with you. And over the years, uh, our our hero has changed. Not always looking the same, but always doing kind of the same stuff. Always hanging out with a group of people. Sometimes he gets really close to that group of people. Okay, and and let's just say this was a really successful show, and it ran all the way from the '60s into the '80s. Okay. All right. And then in the 80s, it went on hiatus. Okay? Sure. And then later, it got brought back uh, with a bigger production, bigger budgets, and got even more successful, and was once again exported from uh, to the United States, and became a big crossover hit in the United States, and led to, uh, you know, more uh, series being produced, and more merchandise being sold, and more popularity, and becoming just a complete cultural icon in their uh, country of origin, what show am I talking about? Well, there can only be one show you're talking about. It's got to yeah, be Doctor Who. The Ultraman. Gesundheit. You meant to say Doctor Who. No, no, it's Ultraman. 
No, no, it's Doctor Who. No, I'm telling you, dude. You, no, you said it started in the 60s, right? right? Yeah, Ultraman started in Hi- the 60s. Hiatus in the 80s. Yeah, that was Ultraman. Close group of, of humans, like the guys at UNIT. Yeah, like the, the uh, Science Patrol or the Ultra Garrison. <sighs> Came back later with high-end special effects like Christopher Eccleston. Yeah, like Ultraman Tiga in the 90s. Huge, massive, you know, merchandising effort here in, in, in America. Ultraman's the most popular character in Japanese pop, pop fiction. Well, I'll be darned. (laughs) (laughs) Well, folks, uh, for those of you at home, if you are a fan of the Who True Freaks, this is an episode for you. And if you're a fan of Earth Destruction Directive, then this is also an episode for you. And what's what's amazing is uh, this um, over the over this past summer, um, Shag was very kind and hooked me up with a large collection of Doctor Who ebooks. Yes, and I had been reading. Uh, I'll actually been reading not so much the original stuff, but a lot of the things that were adaptions of the original TV show, because I've never seen any of that. So I was reading it, and then it just hit me one day. I'm sitting in my office, and it hits me. It's like, wow, Doctor Who's a lot like Ultraman. <laughs> Bite your tongue. <laughs> <laughs> and so I started just jotting down a list of all the things they had in common, and it, and it just got eerie after a while. So. Uh, so we decided, you know what, let's 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 talk about this because it, this is pretty fertile ground, as far as uh, you know the tending of the nerd fields, and these, <laughs> and these are two uh, two uh, fandoms that very rarely have anything to do with one another. So there's got to be some kind of uh, I love parallel development. This apparently is a case of parallel development. Yeah, this has got to be one of the few podcasts that have ever tackled both characters at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> well, before we get too deep into this, we um. You know, why don't we take a second just to tell people a little about ourselves, where they can find us, and how we came to, like, um, one of the things I want to talk about, if anyone listens to Two True Freaks, they probably already know I'm a Doctor Who guy. And if anyone listens to Two True Freaks, unfortunately, you probably know that Luke's into uh, Japanese giant monster things, whatever. Uh, so, <laughs> why don't we take a moment to tell people where to find us, and how we got into the other side of it. Luke, you want to go first? Sure. Um, my home podcast for Tokusatsu. Say it with me, Shaq. Tokusatsu. Yamaguchi? Uh, my podcast for uh, tokusatsu, and specifically Daikaiju, which translates to giant monsters, is Earth Destruction Directive, which is part of the Two True Freaks podcast network. Uh, you can also find me on their horror show, which is the Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, also on the Two True Freaks network. And uh, much to Shag's internal chagrin, I also run a Hawkman blog <laughs> at uh, beingcarterhall.blogspot.com. So, uh you know, again, what you'd think that, oh, wow, what kind of loser runs a Hawkman blog? But then again, my guest runs a Firestorm blog, so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm just, just putting it out there for whatever it's worth. Thanks, brother. Go ahead. Thanks, man. <laughs> uh, well, real quickly, uh, yes, I am the irredeemable, irredeemable Shag. I am from the Fire and Water podcast. That's primarily where you'll find me. It's a podcast dedicated to Firestorm and Aquaman. Yeah, you can't get much lower than that. Um, if only Rob the, were d- here. Dedicated to Firestorm and Aquaman. And we also cover Who's Who, the definitive directory of the DC Universe. So uh, if you're into comics, we also talk about Justice League and all that kind of stuff. So swing by there. I run the Firestorm fan blog. And I do appear on Who True Freaks we, uh, from time to time, which is a podcast done through this network about Doctor Who. And I, once in a blue moon, I will appear on the Star Wars Monthly Mondays also. So uh, yeah, those are the places to find me. I was going to say, mainly to pine over Shira Bree, right? That's, uh... Let me tell you, I love me some Shira Bree. <laughs> <laughs> now, real quick, uh, again, you guys probably know me as a Doctor Who guy, but here's, here's my background with the Daihatsu uh, 
stuff <sighs> that Luke likes to talk about. Uh, growing up, like you know, like any kid, I I watched Godzilla. You know, what Godzilla movies, enjoyed those, but not a bunch of them. You know, I just kind of saw them. And then you know, sometime in the '80s when TBS really took off, I was watching uh, every day. I'd come home and watch Spectrum. Was it Spectrum Man or Spectrum Man? Spectrum Man. Spectrum Man. I would watch Spectrum Man and Space Giants. Mm-hmm. That was the one with Goldar and Silvar and those giant robots that flew uh, that were rockets. I love those guys. And it's funny for years I had Spectrum Man and Ultraman confused. I always thought Spectrum Man was Ultraman because <laughs> they all kind of look the same. You know, they lift an arm up in his in the air, transforms and fights you know giant bad guys. Right? That's the same thing. Yeah. And so I kept wondering why every time I'd see references to Ultraman, there was no reference to this in super intelligent gorilla. And uh, <laughs> used to frustrate the heck out of me until the advent of the internet when I kind of figured out, oh, those are different. Uh, then I went on to work in a comic book shop for through most of the 90s. And we used to sell a lot of stuff in the uh, in the Datsun and, and Toyota genre oh, of films. Uh, we had, used to have this, like, I remember we used to have these hard plastic little versions of Godzilla, Mecha Godzilla. Um, oh geez, what is it? Mothra? We had a bunch of these characters that were in like the hard plastic, and and we used to sell those. And uh, you'll like this. My friends and I used to get together. And uh, do you ever play the game Axis and Allies? Yes. Okay. There's another version called Shogun, mm-hmm. which is about uh, the Eastern countries, I guess is what that is. Yes. And uh, we used to play that. And what we do, we we customized the game. We had house rules where every time someone rolled doubles, we had a stack of country cards, and we draw a card randomly from the deck. Whatever country we had, Godzilla would materialize in that country. We had a little wind-up Godzilla that would walk, and he shot sparks out of his mouth. Yes. So we'd wind him up. We'd ring a gong. We actually had a little gong there. We'd ring the gong. Everyone would take a shot of sake, and we'd, lo- we'd let Godzilla loose, aim him towards the water. Whatever armies he knocked over were destroyed. That is great. That- that was part of the rules. We loved that. So. Let me let me just jump in real quick that actually my friend Bob and I had for many years a house rule in Risk that involved uh, Godzilla occupying Japan, <laughs> which made Japan completely impassable. So you had to find another way. You couldn't go through, cut through Japan to get around to the other side. So that was, it, was, it wasn't as involved, but Risk is not as involved as Axis and Allies, and we were also in high school. So, uh, <laughs> But yes, God, nothing makes a board game better than adding Godzilla. I tell you, and Saki. Saki really helped. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> I agree with that. So that's my. Uh, that's where I'm connected to the um, to the Mitsubishi film uh, world. Uh, tokusatsu. It's not that hard a word. Gesundheit. Uh, well, you're up. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what? Uh, my my introduction to Doctor Who is is actually uh, not that atypical. I think from a lot of folks about my age, and that I I was aware of Doctor Who growing up, but I never actually watched it, and the first episode I saw was the first episode with Christopher Eccleston when it was on uh, Sci-Fi Channel, back when it was called Sci-Fi Channel, and not Siffy. And, and, you know, for a long time, and I said this on the uh, episode I did about King Kong Escapes, that I thought that Doctor Who, because the bad guy in Doctor Who is this Asian terrorist named Doctor Who, H-U-U and so for a long time I thought that Doctor Who the British show was about a Asian terrorist guy like a Fu Manchu type character (laughs) 
And uh, and I'm like, wow, that's that's odd. That's you know, I mean, I guess that makes sense. It's like an old pulp thing. I guess I don't know. It never really caught, never made any sense to me. And uh, so I'm watching this uh, one on Sci-Fi. One just, I at the time I was going to school and I wasn't working, so I was just off during the day and it was on. I watched. It, I was like, oh, okay, so he's an alien. He's not a guy who uh, you know tries to destabilize the West with giant robot apes. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and so from there, you know, I did what, what we always do, where all quests begin, Wikipedia, and uh, started reading up and, and really, you know, delved de- deeply into, like, oh, okay, so this, this is this, this classic show it has been on, and this guy has been reincarnated all these times, and all these different actors have played him, and all of it started, suddenly started making sense as to why people were always talking about this. So I watched the show when it was on Sci-Fi, and I've, I've, I've watched mo- a lot of the modern stuff, not quite all of it, just because for a long time I, I didn't get BBC America. And, um, you know, I've, uh, I've got, you know, other things to watch besides downloading British shows. You know, I've got to spend my time downloading Japanese shows, after all. And, uh, <laughs> but then through uh, Netflix, Netflix has, they don't have a lot of the classic shows on Watch Instant, but they have almost all of them that are on DVD available to rent through DVD. So I've yeah. watched a lot of the old series through that, watching it on uh, on DVD and watching some of them on Watch, uh, Watch Instant, just to kind of, you know, at least say I've seen a serial for each guy. I'm not quite there yet, but I've, I've gotten pretty close. And you can tell I'm, I'm a kind of a late-coming Doctor Who fan because my favorite Doctor is Colin Baker. Oh, so, man. <laughs> he's You're cool. You're so sadly misguided. He is cool. He's I like an alien who's kind of, uh, you know, buffoonish a little bit. <laughs> well, I like, I, I like Ultraman Zero. How's that? <laughs> Nothing wrong with Ultraman Zero. He's Ultra oh. 7's kid. Darn, I thought I picked one that you didn't like. Oh, well. Uh, well, that's the thing with, you know, with uh, the, the Ultramen are, you know, and, and much, again, we, we talked a little bit about this. The real-world history of these of these shows is kind of an odd reflection of each other. Because uh, the Ultra series actually started in uh, 1967 with uh, a series called Ultra Q. Excuse me, 1966 was Ultra Q. Now, Ultra Q was actually uh, kind of a sort of early mix of, like, the Twilight Zone and the X-Files. Mm-hmm. And, and did not actually have a, a giant hero, or what we call a Kyodai hero, in it. It was, it was just, like, the Science Patrol investigating a monster each week. Oh, it was the Science Patrol? Uh, they weren't called that, but it's essentially the same group. Okay. But the, the there's that that group exists in pretty much every incarnation but they have a different name. My my favorite is I think it's Ultraman Taro where they're actually called the Monster Attack Team. <laughs> I like here uh, they actually refer to them as United Nations Scientific Investigation Agency, yeah. which is so close to Doctor Who's unit that's yes. insane. It's just United Nations Intelligence Task Force. Yeah, but, so but, so close. But what was what what I thought was odd was that you know Ultra Q started out as trying to be kind of a hard science fiction show, and then it it by the next year the way that things work in Japan if your show is popular you you it gets ordered in thirteen episode blocks. Okay. So they ordered 13 episodes of Ultra Q, and then it was good enough they got another 13, but by that point the ratings had kind of dropped off, so they said, we need to do something different. So what the you know the week after Ultra Q ended, Ultraman started, and it had you know the same uh, production crew, the same writers, um, you know the same the same suit actors, all that. It was just a different show started, and it ran the same time slot, and it ran for 39 episodes. Uh, but, but the interesting thing to me is that like Ultra Q, the Ultra 
series started out as hard science fiction before coming more of an action-oriented show. Didn't Doctor Who start out as a, a more like uh, historically accurate show, to, like an ed, like, almost like an edutainment type show? Yeah, um, very much so. It started off uh, like the very first episode. I mean, the first episode didn't have a lot of educational value because they're going back to prehistoric times and they can't, you know, validate a lot of that. But their effort was to, yes, to teach educational stuff. And uh, they did, after the first four episodes, which, you know, combined to form Unearthly Child, they did the Dalek episode and they kind of found out, wow, there's a lot of money to be made in the science fiction-y side of this. So they sort of split their time between doing historical episodes where they'd meet like Marco Polo or the Aztecs or, you know, the Old West, and there would be some educational component to those. Uh, and then they do another one where it's like pure science fiction. So they kind of, not necessarily alternated, but they would do, a, you know, a little bit of each. And then by the time the Doctor regenerated after the first three or four years of the show, they kind of dropped the whole historical angle altogether and just stuck with science fiction. Yeah, and and uh, it was it was clear what was the money makers for both uh, Subaraya and the BBC. I think at that point as well. Yeah, and, absolutely. And now you mentioned that the second serial was was the Daleks. That's what introduced us to the Daleks. Essentially, the second Doctor Who story. Yep. Well, what's what's another odd, just again amazing coincidence? The the most recurring bad guy for the Ultras is the aliens called the Balton, who appear okay. in the second episode of Ultraman. Oh really? Okay. <laughs> now see, I didn't. I didn't catch that one. I, I did yeah. watch in, in preparation for this. I watched uh, the very first episode of the original Ultraman series from yeah. the '60s. I watched episode 23 that you recommended. It was called uh, "My Home Is Earth," I think. Yes. Yep. And then I watched the the last episode of Ultraman, the first series. Yes. Then just for uh, for fun, I watched about 20 minutes of Ultraman Saga. Yes. Which came out in 2012. Yes. Uh, the only reason I watched 20 minutes because that's when the subtitling ended. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I gotta say, man. All right, you know, we talked about Doctor Who went away, you know, and then it came back with a higher budget because Doctor Who, in the, especially in the late '70s, was known for having a really crappy budget. I mean, totally shoestring budget show. I mean, as the character, character blah, as the characters would walk across the room, you would literally see the shake set. <laughs> the set would shake. I mean, uh, you know, the walls would be shaking, and and the monsters. Like there was this one particular character everyone loves to talk about called the Murka, where like the paint on this giant like underwater dinosaur kind of creature was still dripping off of it as it's walking across the set. I mean, it was really low budget. Then it came back in 2005 with really high, high, high end, like, you know, film production graphics. Yeah. Now, Ultraman, you know, I'm watching the 60s episodes and they're exactly what you remember. You know, guys in rubber suits rolling around on a small scale city. So I watched Saga thinking, okay, it's 2012. This is going to be, you know, Star Trek, Star Wars level special effects, right? Well, the special effects are really good. The explosions, the ships, the CGI, all that. But still, when it comes down to a band, 50 years later, they are still wrestling in foam rubber suits yep. on small-scale cities. But that's, that's part of the charm, though. I mean, he even picked, he even picked the, the, the monster up by the tail and did the swinging around thing. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Well, that, you know, that's, that, that's iconic, though. You've got you've to do the, the tail swing. But, you know, really, when you, you mean... Oh. I mean, you can still you, you can still see the zipper on Ultraman's back. No, it's not a zipper. That's they've just got a seam on their armor back there. Oh my ass, they do. <laughs> <laughs> That's a zipper so the actor can get out of the costume. Well, but you know, it's to me, it's it's you know, at the end of the day, the Cybermen are still just dudes dressed up in metal suits. You Fetish know, suits, probably actually. Yeah, and and the you know the the monsters on uh, on on Doctor Who, the modern monsters. 
Yeah, the I mean the were the Jadoon really any different than uh than any other monster? Just a guy in a big rubber suit. Where the when the Santarans came back, they still looked like baked potatoes wearing spacesuits. <laughs> You they know, so it's did. just they the totally way it is. So, I mean, and part of that's also the, I think, I, I, the charm of both shows is that even though that, uh, I mean, right now we're we're in a, a phase of the Ultra series where we've had a series of movies rather than a uh, an episodic show, uh, but uh, they we've just been well coming in a couple of weeks there'll be a reveal of the new Ultraman his name is Ultraman Ginga and there's a rumor that he'll have a show because it's going to be the uh, it's going to be an anniversary year this year so it'll, there'll probably be an actual series again but even again the even though we've had the updated series and the updated uh, budgets and new effects the shows are still essentially made the same way yeah they're a little bit different with Doctor Who because they're not the, the serialized they're a single episode tells a single story or maybe a two-parter but it's still at the end of the day it's still the same type of storytelling and uses the same basic way to tell that story you know yeah, and and true. ultraman does the same thing uh when ultraman came back it was in uh, 19 was 1996 with ultraman tiga and tiga in a lot of ways follows a very similar story to the original ultraman it's you know an, an alien comes to earth accidentally causes the death of a of a courageous human the two of them merge together and share their life force to defend earth from monsters now what tiga brought in and something i think that we've seen in doctor who and, and maybe you can correct me on this is the idea of the series, the whole season, being a bigger storyline. Yeah, they they did that in the classic series um, one specific time, and then sort of another time. But like the key to time was one big long story arc. Um, stuff with Turlo was a three or four. Uh, it was a three story arc. Um, but yeah, I mean, it wasn't as prevalent as it was when they came back in 2005. You're right. By then, you've got Bad Wolf, you've got Torchwood, you've got, you know, Mr. Saxon, you've got stuff that lasted the whole season long. Mm-hmm. Right. And by the way, be- before we delve too deep into that, I want to go back for just one second. Sure. Because I just realized something. Talk about parallel. Talk about uh, these two shows paralleling each other. You mentioned that Ultraman has moved to films rather than TV series. Yes. And I don't know if you actually said it yet or not, but you've told me where some of these films just become a bunch of the, the old Ultraman coming together. Yeah. Sort of like, you know, bring some of your famous stars back and they team up sort of thing. Exactly. Well, Ultraman did that first. Come this November, Doctor Who is having a feature film. Ooh. They're the 50th feature film. Uh, it be in 3D. And it, it'll, I think it'll air on TV as well. But it is a feature film celebrating the 50th anniversary of Matt Smith. And they just announced, like in the last few days, I don't know if you've even heard this yet or not, there's going to be some other stars in this movie, mm-hmm. including David Tennant and Billy Piper. Oh. Yep. For those of you who don't know what the heck I'm talking about that are fans <laughs> of the whole, um, uh, what am I trying to say, the fans of the whole uh, Kawasaki you know, film industry. I'm talking about Doctor Who. David Tennant played the tenth Doctor, and Billy Piper was his probably most well-known companion, Rose. And so, the Doctor and Rose will be meeting Matt Smith, Doctor, with his new companion, Clara. I assume. And in a feature-length film. Yeah, that's, pretty big deal. That is a big deal. That's pretty neat. Yep. And and, and but you know, and and that's another thing. Talk. One of the things that's that's been uh, kind of a, a a thing that both shows have had is their sheer longevity. You know, both mm-hmm. shows have run. You know, the Who fans like to like to kick out the number that they have the longest running science fiction show in history. 
Yeah. And the only reason that they can make that claim is because of the way the British film, uh, TV industry works versus the Japanese one. If you add up all the number of episodes of every Ultra series, now I'm even willing to kick out the ones that don't have an Ultraman in it. So we'll kick out all the versions of Ultra Q, and we'll kick out Ultra Galaxy, because an Ultraman doesn't appear. Ultraman has about 75 more episodes than Doctor Who. Yeah, but longest running means when it started. Ultraman started in 1966. Doctor Who started in 1963. No, but what I'm trying to say is the claim on the episodes is a legitimate claim because, you know, the series wasn't called Doctor Who and then Doctor Who 2, Doctor Who 3. Sure. Uh, in, in the Ultra series, you know, you had went from Ultraman, and that ran for a year, and then Ultra 7. So it's a different series. And then Return of Ultraman, then Ultraman Taro, uh, Ultraman uh, Ace, excuse me, Ultraman Ace, Ultraman Taro, Ultraman Leo, Ultraman 80. They're all different series. So even though right. they had the same production crew, they you know were all made back to back to back, and they were really just and they aired in the same time slot, and as one ended, the next started. They're technically different shows. I, I see what you're saying, but you're still wrong because it's still 1966, <laughs> and not Doctor Who's 1963. Yeah, but the claim I hear all these Whovians make is like no show has as many episodes as ours. You know? Oh no, that's bullcrap. There, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, I, I think if you add Stargate up, it you know, it all depends on how you count Doctor Who episodes too, because like. If you count them by the story, some episodes were four, some episodes some were six. You know, it's, and it depends on how you count whether you count episode or stories yeah. and all that. But it really, what it boils down to is is the claim of the number of years. Somebody really wants to be for snickety, you just simply say no. Doctor Who ended in 1989, and yeah. then it came back in 2005. Right. That is not a continuous series. Yeah, yeah, and and. I don't know. It's it's just it's just amusing to me because anytime that get that gets kicked around, it's always used in my in my experience as a put down to Star Trek. Uh, but they never, well, you know, Star they, Trek's got a lot of reasons to be put down. I, and, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's uh, hi hi Scott and Chris. How you doing? But uh, I love Star Trek. They know that. I do too. I was on their Star Trek the motion picture episode. That's so much I like Star Trek. All those little episodes of Star Trek where they're going around in the Aluminum Falcon with their Vulcans and their Vaders and all that. That stuff's great. Love it. i got to admit, it is really cool when the Cylons show up. Uh, you know, that that is cool stuff. You can't argue with that. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah, I, I don't think I saw the Cylon episodes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I like I like the ones with Sasquatch, though. That was good. So Didn't Andre the Giant play Sasquatch? I think he did. I think he did, yeah. yeah he has a plastic, Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but... But, you know, we're talking about uh, bringing back David Tennant and Billy Piper. And every time I hear Billy Piper is her name, the only thing I can think of was there was a little segment that Catherine Tate and uh, David Tennant did before she was on Doctor Who. It was from their, their little Christmas charity thing they do. Yeah. Where she was playing, uh, I guess there's a, an obnoxious girl character that she was known for playing on her show. Yeah. And David Tennant is like her substitute teacher. And she yep. keeps giving him grief that he that he looks like Doctor Who, and at, and at one point she goes, "You fancy Billy Piper, sir?" And that's all I can think of every time I hear Billy Piper's name. Is <laughs> <laughs> that little segment was hilarious. Yes, where he shrinks her down. Catherine Tate is brilliant. She uh, she was the best companion. She I, really was. You know, I, I my wife and I were watching another movie a couple weeks ago and saw her in it, and I'm like, "Oh, it's Donna!" <laughs> and my wife knew what I was talking about. That's how sad I am. So. <laughs> I was on a plane uh, when I went to the Doctor Who convention, and uh, one of the, you know, they show shows on those really long flights uh, on the monitors, 
and it was The Office, which I don't watch, but I, you know, everyone loves it, the American version, yes. and uh, it had Catherine Tate on it. <laughs> so I was like, oh, hell yeah, put on my headphones, I'm, like, I'm watching this. <laughs> she was hilarious. Oh, I would have liked at one point for Donna to break out of, am I bothered? But it, no, it never happened. But Right. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, talking about bringing back old characters, and I know they, they've done that a few times, the longevity of both shows has meant that we've seen a lot of that going on. Uh, the the second Ultra Heroes, name's Ultra 7, is far and away the most popular character from the series, and some would argue the most popular giant hero uh, in, in Japanese pop culture. Ultra 7 would show up a lot as the series would go on. He would be, uh, he would show up to, you know, to train the, the, the new hero, or be his mentor. Uh, on Ultraman Leo, the, his human form is, the, is Ultraman Leo's commander. And hmm. the, the series actually starts with, with with seven fighting a couple of monsters and, and getting his leg his leg broken rather graphically actually, and then Leo coming and making the save. Uh, did now with with Doctor Who, I guess it's a little harder to do that because they keep you know they they regenerate so they actually change. It's the same dude. But right. Do they do they bring them back a lot? Did they do a lot of that kind of stuff where a popular version of the guy would come back? They they bumped into each other a few times. Um, at the tenth anniversary, they did the three doctors. At the twentieth anniversary, they did the five doctors. And obviously, you can guess one of them had three actors. One of them had five actors. Um, oh, the five actor, the five doctors was a little funny because one of the actors didn't actually come back, so they used old footage of him. And another actor was dead, so they replaced him with another guy. So really, it was only three of the original doctors with two sort of sort of jury rig things. But so you had the three doctors. You had the Five Doctors. Yet another episode was just the two Doctors, which was a Colin Baker one, so you'd enjoy that. Yes, that's and Colin then Baker and they've done Trouton, a, right? What's that? I said that was Colin Baker and Patrick Troughton. Yep. Ah, yes, I would the, like that. They've done a they've done a bunch of, t- of them teaming up on audio, where the two where different Doctors come together, and uh, on the audios by Big Finish, and they've done Time Crash, which was something with the Tenth Doctor and Fifth Doctor, which was just like a seven minute fun little thing for one of those Christmas. You know, or or um, comedy relief benefits. Yeah, and uh, then there's been other stuff that's non-canonical, which is just a fun word to say. Canonical. <laughs> do, 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 do. Canonical. Canonical. Anyway, and uh, so that's really primarily it. Now, I'm just curious, how many incarnations of the Ultra Heroes have there been? Uh, there's a lot. I think there's probably. Well, let me think here because I think there's been like 25 shows. I'm looking at a list on Wikipedia yeah. here. And, uh, yeah, there's, I mean, there, then, and the thing is, inside those shows, sometimes you might have more than one Ultra. Like oh, goodness. On uh, Ultraman Gaia, for instance, uh, there was a, a character introduced named Ultraman Agul, who was sometimes a, an ally, sometimes a rival. Um, on the original Ultraman, uh, Ultraman's commander, Zafi, shows up in the last episode. Right. And, you know, and when we, you know, Ultraman Taro has his, his parents, who are father of Ultra and mother of Ultra, show up. Uh, they're, they're, they're like a giant samurai clan with brothers <laughs> and uncles and, you know, nie- nieces and nephews, and so it's this whole huge group. So, for, in, uh, for instance, in the, uh, the, the first of the current series of movies, which was um, uh, Ultra, uh, Mega Monster Battle Ultra Galaxy, there's all the Ultras show up, and there's like 40 of them. What's it called? Mega Monster Battle Ultra Galaxy. The movie. <laughs> well, 
and again, it's it's something that's lost in translation. This, this show <laughs> I totally, I totally get that, but it's just yeah. so fun to hear things like that. Well, I love the, that stuff. The the show the the show that it was spun out of was called Ultra Galaxy Mega Monster Battle, and then the second season was Ultra Galaxy Mega Monster Battle Never Ending Odyssey. And so the movie That's a blast. is called Ultraman Zero the Movie, you know, uh, Mega Monster Battle Ultra Galaxy. Oh my gosh, that's awesome. <laughs> that's like the coolest thing I've heard all day. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so I mean, you can't, you know, I mean, if, if the British shows are understated in their titles, the Japanese shows are the exact opposite. <laughs> you know, you have to put that in there. Otherwise, you know, they, they won't know that it's a, you know, Ultra Galaxy Mega Monster Battle in space. Well, if you, if you had to come up with a ballpark number, I'd say there's probably about there's probably about forty to fifty ultra heroes in the series. Wow! Now I was listening to that little show you do, Ultra or I mean, uh, Earth Destructive Directive Daihatsu, whatever <laughs> that show. Perfect. And I heard you on there with the Lorax, which I thought was pretty cool that you got the little guy with the with the sneal trees and stuff to be on your show. I'm sorry, but, Mr. Lomax. I'm sorry. He knows not what he does. He sounded a little bit like a Cyberman too. He did a little bit, and, and <laughs> I've got to agree with that one. But, <laughs> but uh, you guys made a really good point that really struck out of me was that all the Ultramen look really similar. Yes. like it's really hard to tell them apart. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I, th- I thought it was just me, no. and I'm like, man, I- I'm so like. I don't know. I'm I'm being such a terrible American. I can't tell the difference. And then I heard you guys say that. I'm like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, it it's it's just the way it is. They're they're all giant and they're all red and silver. And sometimes they're red, blue, and silver. Right. You know, and it's like, yeah, they all do kind of look alike. But the the amazing thing is is how just watching a few episodes of any one of their shows, you can you can start immediately telling them apart. It's, how? It's it's little things. Like well, I mean, if you put Ultraman and Ultra Seven next to each other, they look 100 percent different. Now, okay. Ultraman and Ultraman Jack, who was the Ultraman from uh, Return of Ultraman, now he, uh, Ultraman Jack was designed to look as much like the original Ultraman as possible. So that one's kind of tough. But they have different, you know, their their patterns on their on their suit is different. And uh, Ultraman uh, Jack has his multi his uh, multi weapon on his uh, wrist where he can summon his Ultra Javelin and his other weapons from. And the others, they you know they have either head crest or they have a different uh, different look on their suit or they're a different color. And, you know, it's it's again, it's the it's the nature of of uh, Tokusatsu shows is that once a series starts, they tend to, uh, at least in esoteric ways, stay the same. Your Super Sentai shows, I mean, if you look, you get any one group of a Super Sentai team and put them next to another. Any Joe Blogs on the street or any, I don't know, Doctor Who fan is going to look at that and say, oh, it's just Power Rangers. They're not going to be able to say, oh, well, you can tell clearly that that's the Bo Kenja and not the Geki Ranger from the year after. You know. But, Gesundheit. <sighs> but any Tokusatsu fan, you know, and but at the same time, when I first started watching Doctor Who, it was always like, okay, so who's this guy? And who are these people he's with? Because they nobody introduces anything, they just kind of you just kind of pick it up as you go. Because otherwise, uh, you know, there, there's precious minutes we need to fill with people talking in rooms. After all, so that's true. <laughs> running down hallways. Um, now, yeah, I mean, you could kind of like a lot of the assistants are pretty interchangeable. Like, okay, who's this hot chick? Yeah, all right. I don't know this one. Oh, she's got a different name than the last one. There we go. The way I you know. Can... Oh, she still screams and sprains her ankle. Yeah. Um, it's what now, I will say Ultraman Zero, because when I watched Saga, yes. uh, I was kind of digging on Ultraman Zero. And uh, I, I could tell that he looked different. 
Yeah. He had he had a very different helmet, and I was like, okay, that's what it should be like. You well, know, I get that. Yeah. Well, and and Ultraman Zero, he's kind of been the main character of the three films, which okay. was uh, again Mega Monster Battle Ultra Galaxy, and then the the second was called Ultraman Zero Revenge of Belial, and then the third was Ultraman Saga, and Se- uh, Zero is the son of Ultra Seven. Who, and, okay. And Ultra Seven, all like like the way Ultraman Zero has the two crests on his head that he can throw as blades. Yeah. Ultra Seven had the one on his head, which was called the Ice Slugger, that he threw like a boomerang in his show, mm. and so that's why he's got the two. And you know, yeah. And and the thing about Zero is because he's a movie character, he's fucking badass. You know. Yeah, he's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> and now, it, what confused me was he merged with this kid in Saga, who's who who had his own name. Printed across his jacket, which I think is pretty cool. If I had it, you know, if I could print my name Chad across the back of my jacket, that'd be pretty cool. But his name was almost the same as Taiga, and and I heard it was like Tyaga or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So I was getting that confused with Ultraman Taiga, and I was like, Are they merging two Ultraman? I'm so confused. What? Well, so yeah, it's Ultra, it's Tiga. Tiga, thank yes. you. And uh, I think it is Taiga is the is the kid in, in Saga. But, uh, and I do like how the movie started with some hot chicks driving big like transformers. That was cool. You gotta love it. And and that, that and you know that's another thing. Uh, there's there's always been a little bit of fan service in the Ultra series. And from what I've seen of old school Doctor Who, and again I I like Colin Baker. So you know Perry, right oh. there. And it's like yeah, I can see why why she's in here, and I'm digging it. Yeah, she's she's got vast tracts of land for yeah. those of you who don't know who she is. Um, she was introduced in her very first episode. Uh, she was the first Doctor Who companion to appear in a bikini. Yes, and um, she's a healthy young girl. I tell you, I uh, the first Colin Baker I watched was Attack of the Cybermen, and she's she's wearing uh, hot pants and like uh, like remember remember the the second costume Power Girl had where it was just a really deep cut. Yeah, yeah, and she's just running back and forth up and down the street, and I'm like, oh, it's glorious. <laughs> and I think it was the middle of winter too, probably. <laughs> Poor Nicola Bryant. Yeah, she she was there for eye candy. Yeah, the, the executive producer used to have a kind of a um, a motto. He would say he would call it a little something for the dads. <laughs> so the girls always had short skirts, low, plunging necklines, and were beautiful. Thank yeah. God, bless them. God bless them. <laughs> Somewhere around the uh, second Doctor is when they started just getting really, really attractive young girls. So, yeah. well, and, and and actually, I got to say, in Ultraman, you know, in the very first one, Ultraman, I watched the girl who's in the the Science Patrol. Yeah, uh, she's pretty cute. Yeah, and and in uh, the Anne from the uh, from Ultra Seven, actually, she and uh, Dan Moraboshi is uh, Ultra Seven's uh, human identity. And Ultra Ultra Seven's a little bit different in that he's not. Like in, in Ultraman, you know, Ultraman and, uh, crashes into Hayata's ship and kills Hayata. And so he, the two of them merge so that Hayata uh, can live again. Right. Uh, in this, Ultra 7 just takes a human identity. There is no, there is no Dan Moraboshi. He's a, a, an artificial, you know, person that he's created. Okay. So, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because that's going to be one of my questions here because I noticed both in original Ultraman with uh, Hayata, is that his name? Hayata, yes. Okay, and then in Ultraman Saga, yep. um, which is was Taiga. Right. Uh, if I'm saying people's name wrong, I'm at least trying this time. <laughs> um, 
in both cases, it's the same situation. That you know, the 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 human died violently or accidentally, and the Ultraman merged with him to save his life. And I was going to ask, is that a reoccurring theme? It sounds like Ultraman Seven that didn't happen. What about the rest of the Ultras? That is that is very common, actually. It happens in pretty much every other one. There's a few that don't, like Ultraman uh, Gaia doesn't, because in Ultraman Gaia, he's um, kind of a creation of the spirit of the Earth, hence the name Gaia. Yeah, right. But all of your all of what you what we would call the Showa Ultraman, all the original ones from before nineteen eighty one and before, were all like that. Uh, the two co productions, which were Towards the Future and the Ultimate Hero, one was an Australian show. Actually, Ultraman Towards the Future was probably the first introduction a lot of people in my generation got to Ultraman in this country because it was shot in English and aired over here on syndication. Uh, those were like that. Tiga and Dinah were like that. Um, the, the modern shows, uh, Nexus, Max, Mavis, Ultra 7X, they were all you, like that as, as well. You, what do you mean they were shot in English? Uh, Ultraman Towards the Future was a, co- a Subaraya production that was done in Australia. So it was shot with an Australian cast and shot in English with the intention to export it to the West. Oh, and so for when they showed it in Japan, it was dubbed into J- Japanese. That's correct, yes. And the, Interesting. Yeah, and there was actually and, and there was a show in 93 called Ultraman the Ultimate Hero, which was done, shot here in the U.S., and, actually, and shot in English and then dubbed into Japanese, never actually aired in the U.S. Oh. <laughs> so it's like, huh, okay. but That's a lot of wasted production money. <laughs> well, it's... The Ultimate Hero, Ultimate Hero is a little odd. Actually, both of those Ultramen, who are now called Ultraman Great and Ultraman Powered, they count as part of those, you know, that, that 40-some-odd Ultra, Ultra Heroes. But yes, the the motif of the Ultraman or the Ultra Hero being uh, merged with a human appears in almost all of the Ultraman shows. It's it's part of the I would call it a trope of the genre at this point. Okay. And, and what was interesting is there's an episode in the original run of Ultraman. It's episode number thirty three, and I'll be damned if I can remember. It's what the name of it is. It's the episode with an, uh, an alien named Zarab, and and Zarab is kind of a stand in, or excuse me, not Zarab, Mephiles. I'm sorry, I'm getting my aliens mixed up. Mephilus, <laughs> Mephilus is kind of like a uh, a play on on a Satan figure. Yeah. Right. That what he does, he comes to Earth and he he, ta- he asks a kid, "Will you trade me the Earth? Basically, will you give up your rights to the Earth because he can't do it without the consent of the of his victim?" Okay. So, All right. And but uh, because he's an alien, he knows that Hayata is Ultraman, and so he captures Hayata, and he's he's questioning him on his ship. And at one point, he goes to him. He goes, "Are you human or are you alien?" And Hayata says, "Both." And and then that to me all I could think of when I first saw that was you know in the New Testament that Christ is both fully human and fully divine. Well, Ultraman is fully human and fully alien. That's what makes hmm. him unique. Uh, uh, unique insofar as amongst the, the people that he defends the Earth with. So I, I think it's... And, and Subaraya put other uh, sort of nods to uh, Judeo-Christian theology in the series. I mean, the reason why Ultraman makes a cross with his hands when he fires oh. his specium beam was intentional to make a cross. So it's it's very subtle, and it doesn't... It's not... If you're not looking for it, it's not there. But... Yes, I, I think the combination of the human and the alien to defend the Earth was, uh, you know, it's it's definitely part of the series. And it's something I like also about, about Doctor Who, is that here's a guy that, you know, if all the other Time Lords seem more interested in just doing whatever the hell they want, 
whereas as this guy he loves the earth so much and and loves humanity that he's willing to go on these crazy adventures to help it and help humans rather than just bugger off and do whatever he wants yeah. Now, in sort of another parallel, there was in 1996 when they tried to bring Doctor Who back during the, the dead period or the wilderness years, um, Paul McGann was the Doctor. And during that episode, the, the guy who was heading up the show named Philip Siegel, he put in a piece in the story where they revealed the Doctor was half human. Mm-hmm. Now, that sort of kind of goes hand in hand with what you were saying with uh, you know the ties with Ultraman, which is interesting. Now, that has been since ignored, and they've just moved on past it. But you know, there was a period of time where Doctor Who was believed to have been half human. Let me ask you a question: What? What do we know? What the like? I guess editorial intent of that decision was. Um, I mean, there's a lot of speculation. I don't know if we know for a fact. I mean, I've I've kind of always assumed that the intention was to make the Doctor more approachable, to to explain why he has such a strange, you know, fixation on defending the Earth. Things like that to also enter some of the romance. Now, since then, they've they've done all kinds of stuff where they, they've talked about has the Doctor always been half human, or was it simply just that incarnation for whatever reason somehow became half human? And uh, you know, it's uh, some uh, some attention was definitely paid to it during the wilderness years. But since the show came back in two thousand five, everyone has just gone blazes straightforward and forgot all about it. Right, because I've actually seen the the Paul McGann movie and. I remember I watched it after I had seen a bit of the uh, Chris Eccleston and David Tennant stuff, and they make a, they they talk a lot about his alien nature on those, about the uh, you know the two hearts and that you know they make a big deal about the fact that he looks human but he's not, and then you go back and it's like oh well he's half human and I'm like okay that's a little confusing, but yeah again yeah. But, if, but if it's being ignored I guess whatever the purpose of it was has been lost to the to the annals of time and space. And, and, you know, Philip Siegel did a books and, and stuff about making in the show, so it's probably in there, and I just may not be aware of it at this exact moment. Right. But it's it's still kind of, an, again, an interesting parallel. I'd never even thought of that until you mentioned it, because I, but I did know that about the, the half-human thing. Uh, and it, another... let, let, let's talk about this thing you started talking about. The, the similarity here with Doctor Who and Ultraman is that both are from another planet, mm-hmm. both have come to Earth, and have made it their business to protect the planet. Right. Protect the denizens of the planet, and that's an interesting, uh, you know, considering their history of their, you know, how long they both lasted, the changing of identities, all that. You know, it's there are a lot of parallels. You're right. So, Ultraman. When I watched the episodes of the original Ultraman series, I didn't feel like I got a very good sense for the character of Ultraman. I feel like I got a good sense for Hayata and the science group. Uh, what are they called? Science, science Patrol? Patrol is what they're called in the dub. Yeah. Say that again. The Science Patrol. Yeah, okay. I feel like I got a good sense for the Science Patrol and Hayata, but I didn't get a good sense of um, Ultraman. Now, do you feel like in the various incarnations, is he defending the Earth out of simply a sense of duty because he killed Hayata or whoever he happens to merge with? Or is he helping the Earth because it's his favorite planet or it's just, or is that his job? Is he like a Green Lantern and he has a job to protect the universe? What, what, what are his reasons? I think part of it is is kind of the Green Lantern thing. the the ultra The ultras are known as uh, intergalactic heroes, mm-hmm. and, and they and in that first episode where he's he uh, when Bemular and an Ultraman end up on Earth, it's because Bemular is a fugitive from justice, right? And so that's why he Ultraman is chasing him, and a lot of the other ultra heroes kind of fall into that that same path. And yeah, a lot of it has to do with 
again, plot contrivance, as all these things do, but it is out of a sense of duty and, and justice. The, the Ultra Heroes are, like I said, they're the equivalent of samurai. So they're defending Earth because the humans are courageous and brave and intelligent, and they have great technology and fight, but you know, if the Boltons invade, there's very little the humans can do to stop a Bolton invasion, for example. So that's why, you know, uh, the whoever the current Ultra is takes it upon himself to help them. And they, they do talk a little bit about that in the original series, that, you know, why should we fight if Ultraman's going to come and win the fight anyway? And hmm. uh, Ide, who's the, uh, he's kind of the comical mad scientist of the group. He, he creates all the weapons, but he's also a little bit of a comic relief. He has kind of a crisis of conscience about that until uh, the captain kind of slaps him around and says, are you not going to defend the Earth just because we have Ultraman as our ally? You know, shouldn't we be fighting for our Earth and not rely on someone else? And so it's... Ultraman's kind of the... He's like the last the last gasp measure, you know? If, if there's nothing else is going to work and, and this monster is going to destroy the planet, then he's got to come out and he's got to defend the Earth because it's his sense of, of duty to... Uh, you know, to others and to the universe at large. Okay. And for those of you who don't watch Doctor Who, I mean, his perspective is more, it's sort of a favorite planet. You know, some people take it even as far as, like his enemies will even take it as far as to say that he, see, he views the human race as his pets mm. just because he's so far above them. But I don't think he sees them that way. He sees it as his favorite planet and he thinks that's just the most indomitable species ever. And he, he loves them with their, their, you know, flaws and all. Because he also, depending on the mood, he loves to, you know, say what a terrible, terrible thing human beings are and how we're the most, you know, we're the most horrible people and we're worse than most aliens. And he does that from time to time, too, when he gets up on his soapbox. Yeah. But, but I think it's, now, in, I was going to say, go I think it's, it is kind of the, the same idea, though, in that, uh, you know, humans present to these aliens such great potential for greatness. And, you know, but they... They have a lot of flaws, but the the positives outweigh the negatives on the vast majority of them. You know, mm-hmm. I think that attitude is, is is it's very much seen. I think in the modern Doctor Who stuff because, like you said, uh, the Doctor. I mean, there's a there's a scene I I really like in one of the Chris Eccleston ones. I think it's Aliens of London, I guess, uh, where the um, the big fat alien guys they they take that that pig. And it's kind yeah. of like a genetically modified pig, and they set it loose, and the soldiers panic and, and kill it. And the doctor yells at the young soldier that it was just scared, and why do you have to shoot it? And the kid looks so upset when the doctor yells at him, you can see the doctor's response of, well, of course he did that. You know, he that that's in put in that position, that's how he would react. He's not, it wasn't that he did something wrong, that's what he would do because he's only a human. Right, and so that kind of you know again, it's that kind of understanding. They're coming from a position of having you know, like we said in Aladdin, phenomenal cosmic powers, but they've got to understand that at the end of the day, these are just just regular humans, and they have their flaws, but they're still a, a people worth defending. Eccleston was good about having that kind of rage, like uh, when they picked up that one kid, Adam, for an episode, and Adam abused their time travel opportunity to gain all kinds of knowledge and stuff. Yeah. He started referring to him as, you know, a stupid, you know, picked up another stupid ape, and, you know, and he was just going on and on about that. So, I mean, he, he, Eccleston was really good at having that sort of rage. I can say I, I was very... I was very disappointed when he left because I really enjoyed his character and I still like his the, the Ninth Doctor more than than the David Tennant one, who's a little a little too 
having a little too much fun sometimes. I think that's the best way to put it. <laughs> I, I kind of like the serious the serious tone of it. But again, that that may just be the bias I'm bringing to the show as well. I know, I know, you can't argue with success, and David Tennant was nothing if not successful in the role. <laughs> well, there's a there's an old expression. I even have it on a T-shirt. Says you never forget your first doctor. <laughs> My wife still is hung up on uh, Eccleston. That was her first. She still oh. thinks that you know that was. She, I mean, she loves all the other ones too, but she's like that was that was my first, and he was great. My wife got mad when when he when David Tennant regenerated. She goes, "I ain't watching this new guy," and she hasn't watched an episode since. <laughs> Everyone goes through a phase. Like Gina did the same thing at first when Tennant regenerated. She didn't want to see him, <laughs> and I did the same thing when Tom Baker regenerated. I didn't want to see Peter Davison. Now Peter Davison is one of my favorites, mm. but. Now let, let's let's jump straight to there, there's one huge glaring difference okay. between Ultraman and Doctor Who, and that is when it comes down to the they both defeat the bad guys, but they also they both go in very 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 different routes. Ultraman de- defeats the bad guys by beating the Shaz out of them. <laughs> Doctor Who defeats the bad guys by either being clever or you know does something smart. You know, so he he uses his brains and refuses, in fact, usually to engage in any sort of violence unless it, the writer feels like doing that. That episode, yeah. um, whereas Ultraman is all about the punchy punch. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that is a pretty big difference. I have to agree with you on that. And you know, it's uh, I think part of it again is is at the, they're they're really in different genres as part of it, and I understand that, and that that's something that's kind of metatextual, but the. Um, you know, like I said before, Ultraman's kind of the, he's the last measure. You know, uh, the monsters and the aliens in Ultraman are almost never, they're almost never friendly. And they're, they're very rarely um, intelligent in, insofar as most of, I mean, m- most of the monsters, uh, you know, they're, they're beasts. They're rampaging monsters. They're not necessarily intelligent aliens. And the aliens we do meet, as a general rule, are would-be conquerors. You know, there's not a lot of friendly folks hanging out in the Ultra universe, you know. There's, there's apparently a- not, yeah. Apparently, <laughs> if they come to Earth, they're either Ultra or bad news. Yeah. <laughs> well, that, I mean, there, there is a few. There, there's a, uh, there's a, uh, a little human-sized monster named Pigmon who shows up a couple of times, and he's actually uh, friendly to humans. And anytime Pigmon shows up, the Science Patrol's happy to, to see him. In fact, there's one episode uh, where the monster Geronimon is actually going to resurrect 50 monsters and, and destroy the Earth with a, with a, a monster army. But one of the monsters he resurrects is Pigmon, and Pigmon goes and tips off the Science Patrol. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually a, a great scene of Pigmon. They, they, the police are called because Pigmon is in a department store. And he's just sitting in the department store, yeah, and all and all the kids are like, "Ooh, cool, a monster!" And all the parents are are freaking out and dragging their kids away. And on the shelves are all um, Ultraman toys, actually. Uh, oh, Ultraman funny. Finals, and you know, and and but again, Ultraman is the his job is to defend the Earth from you know an alien invasion and and monster attack. So you're right, he, he is a much more action oriented type character and at the end of the day he is he, 99 times out of 100 has to use lethal force you know it's the kind of the if you can't you know at, at some point you've got to step in and, and end the threat you know you can't you can't talk reason to you know Red King or Gamora or you know Duraco or Telesodon these guys if left to their own devices would rampage and destroy the planet you know and 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 also, I think part of it is that the doctor has at his disposal a lot more time. 
you know, Ultraman only has three minutes to take care of that problem. Yeah, I heard you and the Lorax talking about that too. Somehow in the in the three and a half episodes I've watched, I didn't come across that yet. Yeah, yeah, you don't you don't run into the color. Well, the color timer you see it a little bit in uh, when he fights Zeton because the color timer goes out. I guess I just didn't pick up on it. <laughs> and it and and part of that is, of course, a uh, it's 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 a budgetary consideration. You know, if your monster fight's only three three and a half minutes long. You don't have to film a, a 22-minute special effect, but it's you know, it, and you're right. And but are there episodes where Ultraman doesn't fight the monster? Yes, you know there are. There are not a lot of them. One of them that jumps to mind is an episode in the original series called the Monster Graveyard. And uh, the Monster Graveyard is this. Um, basically, they, the Science Patrol finds it in space where all the basically the spirits of the monsters that Ultraman has has killed live. And and actually, it's it's pretty interesting from the human side because they end up having a a Buddhist funeral for all the monsters, and they they mourn the fact that all the monsters had to be killed because Inoshiro Honda, who's one of the creators of Godzilla, was the director of Godzilla. Uh, he has a quote, and I'm going to paraphrase this because I don't have the right in front of me, but he says that monsters are born too tall, too heavy, and too strong. That's their tragedy, and Fuji actually says that quote in the episode because it's not the monster's fault that they were born this way. That huh. they that they can't fit in in human society because they are monsters. And that they, they wonder, does Ultraman enjoy killing the monsters? And you can see Hayata, who is very much affected by this because he wonders himself, am I here, do I enjoy killing monsters or am I defending the Earth? So it's... At the end of the day, you know, Subaraya wants to wants to sell the the product, and the product involves Ultraman fighting monsters. Period. Complete stop. End of story. But they they do address that, and they don't address it as much as I think that I think some would like. And but you're absolutely right. Whereas everything I've seen with with the Doctor, he will try to find any solution he can that's nonviolent. And yeah. when, but when he does, when he do, finds a solution that involves violence. He goes way off the edge, dude. Uh, there was an out, there's an episode. This or you ahead. I was gonna say wiping out two races to end a war, kind of thing. Over the edge, you know. Yeah, that's true. He is very true. He wipes out his own people. Yeah. Um, there's an episode this season called uh, Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. I, I don't want to spoil it, <laughs> but really, dinosaurs on a spaceship, dude. It's the, name, it's the name of the episode, Are... and the greatest scene is. It's in the trailer, so I'm not really... Sp- and the name of the episode's right there, so I'm not spoiling anything. He shows Matt Smith, and he looks, and you see a dinosaur running at him, and he looks so happy. He's like, dinosaurs on a spaceship! You know. Now, you're sure um, this isn't an Ultraman episode? There's dinosaurs on a spaceship? Dude, it, it's, it's one of my favorite episodes they've done in years. But, the end, all I'll say is, the Doctor goes to a very, very dark place, and he pretty much assassinates somebody. Yeah. It's just like... Whoa! Where did that come from? <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, but almost always, uh, almost always, the Doctor avoids the violence, but still finds a way to defeat the monster. And sometimes it does result in the monster's destruction. You know, to be to be fair. But more often than not, they're just defeated. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, I mean, that is a huge difference. Now, I wonder uh, if some of this comes from their own cultural perceptions, because like. And I, and I don't know a lot about Japanese culture, so you have to help me here. Okay. But the British people at least like to think of themselves as nice, let's sit down and have a cup of tea and talk this over. 
kind of people. You know, never mind all that stuff that happened during the Crusades, you know, whatever. <laughs> but they do like to see themselves as let's sit down and, you know, talk it over. And Doctor Who's a very much let's talk it over kind of situation. And I didn't know if the Japanese culture sees themselves as, you know, proud warriors, maybe, or something like that. Yeah, I, I think I think you've kind of you kind of hit it right there because both shows are products of the post-World War II uh, era of their countries, mm. you know. And Great Britain won the war but suffered a huge huge loss in 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 life over in during World War II and not only a loss in life but also the 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 loss of the way of their way of life when you consider all the damage that was done during the blitz and mm-hmm. you know and that i mean that's something that you know the united states certainly didn't we didn't have the same type of direct uh, impact that the, the british did and so i think coming out of that you see politically that you know the britons move away from they they move towards that more toward like i said a, not not i don't want to say appeasement because i don't want to piss off any lefties out there but the uh, <laughs> you know but but definitely more of that that diplomatic you know let, let's talk this out sort of approach whereas you know when japan lost the war you know the the new japanese constitution forbade them from having an army Right, you know, so and and in, uh, this is something, uh, and and there was a lot of there was a lot of Western culture suddenly showing up in in Japan. Things that were previously held out of the country were now really kind of move in there. Not just from the establishment of the American bases, but just the opening of of trade that hadn't been done before. And so there was it was a time of of really rapid change. And this is known as the Showa period of Japan for Emperor Showa. It's when Tokyo Tower was built. And so you're right, it was a scene, you know, was, there was still these beliefs in, you know, honorable combat and the, the rule of law. The rule of law in post-war Japan is one of the most conservative views of the rule of law anywhere in the, anywhere in the world at that time. You know, we have arguments in this country about, you know, personal liberty versus the rule of law. In Japan, it swung completely to the right. You know, the, the saying in Japan, you know, in, in the U.S., we'd say, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Mm-hmm. In Japan, the saying is, the nail that stands up is hammered down. Oh, wow. So okay. it's, it's the idea of, you know, the, that the rule of law is everything. And so a character that was about uh, you know, serving justice and c- c- maintaining the peace no matter the cost, I think is very uh, appealing to the Japanese, uh, to the Japanese uh, you know, milieu of the time. And, you know, the, the, the politics really did enter into it. In Ultra 7, the main series writer in Ultra 7 uh, was, an, he was Okinawan. And after the war, Okinawans became almost like uh, second-class citizens in Japan. And so he uh, wrote the series from this mindset of feeling like an an outsider in his own country. Oh, so that's why Dan Moraboshi is an outsider. He's he has no human. You know, he's a he's an ultra disguised as a human. He's not an actual human. And the entire theme of the series is alien invasion. So the idea of the loss of of one's uh, you know sovereignty in their own nation kind of thing. So, def- uh, yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's all there. I think in both shows it's there, but unless you're really thinking about it, you're not going to see it. But I think it's very much, I mean, I mean, really, are, are the Daleks, I mean, is there a more uh, direct analog for the Nazis than the Daleks? Well, believe it or not, the... Yeah, it depends on who you believe with with, with creative um, retconning, but you know, it wasn't until 1974 that they became really diehard 
Nazi representations. You know, some people still argue they were since day one, but it was around 1974 when they did Genesis of the Daleks, where you saw the history of the Daleks, where they clear straight up went for an SS Nazi yeah. history. So, but yeah, it's, I mean, once you get past the first 10 years of the show, yes, absolutely. I mean, there's no denying it at that point that, yes, they are a direct analog to the Nazis. And let me ask you a follow-up question of that. Because when I started watching Doctor Who, that was all anybody would talk about. Oh, the Daleks are, are space Nazi pepper pots, you know? And uh, But when I watch the show, the, the, the enemy that I've been most drawn to of the Doctors is the Cybermen. And, yep. I, and again, this may be just myself as, you know, with my personal beliefs and my political views. I look at the Cybermen, and that to me is, is, uh, the, red, is the red menace, isn't it? It's communism. It's everyone's going to be like us. Whether you want to or not, you shall be like us. You, you know, I think you and I actually have had this conversation once before. Um, and I, I find that a fascinating you know, uh, angle on it. I don't necessarily know that it was actually intended that way. I know it was more geared towards the, the medical science industry, exactly what it seems like, if just people are becoming, replacing themselves with more and more fake parts, you know, artificial hearts, you know, or artificial limbs, everything like that. What happens when you give too much away? Mm-hmm. And it was really more, not about the bodies, but about the, the emotions. Because the Cybermen, what they did, they're sort of like proto-Borgs, really, folks, if you're a Star Trek fan, but they gave parts of their limbs up more and more until their entire bodies were metallic, but then they also took away the one piece they felt, which was a weakness, which was their emotions. And that was more where I think um, their names were Ped- Peddler, I want to say, Kit and... What was it? Kit Peddler, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. And uh, who, who, who originally created the Starman. I think that's where they were going with the angle. But you make a very fair point for the you will be like us sort of uh, homogenization of everything and, and fitting in with a red scare. It could have certainly been some of that subtext, and just in 30 years I haven't picked up on it. Yeah, and, and I, again, I think that may have just been, again, my what I'm taking to it. You know, you talk about the, the loss of emotion. One of my absolute favorite bits ever from a Doctor Who that I've seen is from The Tenth Planet. And, uh, and the Doctor, who's uh, it's William Hartnell, as the, as the Doctor, uh, he asks the Cybermen straight up, he goes, have you no emotion, sir? And, and the Cybermen's response is that, we eliminated that, you know, that old sing-song voice. Right. And it's, you know, it, that is, I, I just think that sums them up so much. And that's why I, I really like the Cybermen, because they, to me, represent a lot of what the, the opposite, again, much like the Daleks represent the, the counterpoint to the Doctor, in that the Doctor is a character who's built on pacifism and compassion. And, you know, the Daleks have none of that. The Cybermen have eliminated all of that. And they see everything as, as black and white, whereas the Doctor sees everything in shades of grey. You know? Absolutely. So that's, that's always what I've, uh, the kind of thing. And, and again, uh, just to bring it back to Ultraman, on the the Christmas special, the next Doctor, mm-hmm. when they bring out the giant Cybermen at the end of it, yeah, the Cyber King, yeah, yeah it is I very tell uh, you it what, is very Tamaguchi, isn't would, it? Uh, letting that pun aside, how awesome would it have been if the 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 you know the Japanese equivalent of Torchwood rolls up and Hayata break breaks out the Beta Capsule and then it's Ultraman versus Cyber King in the streets of Victorian <laughs> London, you know, shoot, <laughs> and just could it. I could just see, de- you know, uh, the doctor going, what? <laughs> what? You do that three. What? <laughs> what? What? 
Captain Jack Harkness transforms into Ultraman Torchwood. <laughs> He's like a steampunk ultra. That would have been awesome. I, okay, I would have paid money for that. That would have been great. I would have dug that. Now, real quick, I want to give a plug out here because uh, Luke convinced me to watch a couple of different episodes. If, if you're a Doctor Who fan, like, you know when you watch, like, let's say David Tennant's run, you're, you're going along through, say, the third season, and, you know, and there's some cool episodes in there where they fight, you know, the the, the Centaurans, or, or I think maybe that's the fourth season. Either way, different things happen, but then you get to the episode Blink, and you're like, wow, this is different. This this is not like all the other episodes. Now, Luke convinced me to watch uh, of the original Ultraman series, which, by the way, is available on Hulu right now for free. I you can like go watch the whole original 39 episodes, I think it is, of I, Ultraman. I also, I also like that you say convinced, because I actually drove down to, to Florida and twisted your arm until you clicked on it. So, you know, so He did, oh, guys. Man, he's crazy. I mean, you heard his whole, you know, right-wing rhetoric just a minute ago, bashing the lefties, right? So, I mean... Well, of course you have to run a Hawkman blog. It that's, perfect hey, sense. That's, why anyway. that's why I'm the man on the edge who's always going to lose his badge, right? So. <laughs> He's right. Jack and Nettie. <laughs> anyway, so uh, there's an episode of Ultraman that, you know, g- give Ultraman a try, but then go watch episode 23, which is called um, Earth is My Home, I think is what it's called. Yeah, it, the, it, it translates either to Earth is My Home or My Home is Earth. Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and let me tell you, after watching those other Ultraman episodes, same sort of feeling. You're like, whoa, this one is different. I mean, the directing feels different, the writing feels different, the acting feels different. This one had an impact. Uh, It really, you know, you feel for the monster in this story. I don't want to say a lot because I don't want to ruin it for you, but go check out episode 23. It is one of those where you're like, wow, this this is really good. This is what, you know, I watch this and I feel like, okay, I can really see how these Suzuki movies (sighs) can be powerful and could make you feel something. (sighs) Really? Yeah, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and uh, anyway, I, Shag, you make a good point. There, the having all the episodes on Hulu is nice, and actually, Ultra Seven was just released on DVD uh, a few months back by uh, Shout Factory, and it's actually in uh, it's uh, it's sub fully subtitled new new set of subs, and. Again, there's you know the the episode Earth is my home is a very powerful episode. I said when I to you when I said uh, when we were talking about this was I've if you never thought a giant monster story could make you cry, then watch Earth is my home because I'm you know I'm not going to lie. I first saw it a number of years ago when I was a substantially younger man than I am now, and it <laughs> and it was it was upsetting. And watching it now, I mean I watched it now, and it still it still gets to you. Because again, it, it goes back to what I was saying earlier with uh, the episode with with the uh, the monster graveyard, is that you know, it is it a what makes a monster? A monster is something that that is different than us, and is that necessarily something that deserves our scorn or our pity? And I think this is something they do really well on on Doctor Who, also, at least in a lot of the modern stuff. I mean, yeah, you you get your your aliens that are just heavies. But a lot of times you get uh, characters that are, you know, they're, they're just trying to make their way the best way they know how. And you see that, that kind of thing a lot of times. That'll be where the Doctor kind of makes kind of a mutual uh, beneficial decision, you know. Nobody really gets what they really want, but nobody gets killed either. Yeah. Um, there's, there's one with Matt Smith, I think, with the Salorans. Yes. There's a two-part that. And the Salorans, I guess they were just like kind of heavies in the original series, right? 
No, actually, I believe it or not, I was gonna when you got done, I was gonna say this is where example where Luke's just dead wrong. Um, there's a long history in Doctor Who of the you, you feeling sorry for the doc, for the aliens, and in fact, the Silurians, their original appearances when they fought the Third Doctor are perfect examples. Okay, you can go ahead and finish your example, but I'll tell you they did the same thing back in the 70s with okay. the Third Doctor. Well, that that's that's interesting because I I mean I had ne- I've never seen anything with them other than the the stuff with Matt Smith, and I thought it was interesting that they made a whole thing about them, uh, you know, m- making peace and figuring out a plan, and they could live where the humans can't, and the humans can live where they can't, and all that. And of course, it all gets thrown out because of the, you know. Humans are dumb creatures, and as I as I say to Chris Honeywell, who are the real monsters here? You know, yeah. <laughs> Which in Ultraman, it's easy. They're the dinosaurs and the ones that breathe fire and shoot electricity from their nose. You know, you can tell who the monsters <laughs> are on Ultraman. It's <laughs> I love how that's pretty much all of them shoot flames, and, and, and it's like you can just see it coming. Like even Ultraman Saga, where it was pretty cool. You could see the flames like building, glowing through their throat before they shot them. Yep. But you still know it's coming. You don't know You're it's like, coming. oh, of course he shoots flames. <laughs> well, and, and you know, and uh, it's, but, yeah, so making you feel bad for, not necessarily feel bad, but portraying the aliens as a, and as not just heavies, I think is something that Doctor Who does not necessarily better, but certainly with more regularity. And as a more, they're more, they're more opportunity. It's also, I think, more part of the show's makeup. It's it's kind of the exceptions in in uh, in Ultra than it is in Doctor Who. You know, the your real popular monsters in Ultraman. You can tell the popular monsters are because they keep making toys of them. <laughs> are, are the ones that are the really nasty guys. You know, uh, like I said, Gamora is a great example. He had a, a two part episode where, I mean, he just go he just 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 wrecks up the place. You know. Uh, Telesodon is another one. Red King, who's appeared numerous times. Uh, the Balton. Has he ever fought Godzilla? Because I swear, when I watched the last episode <laughs> of Ultraman, then they're showing all the flashbacks. I'm like, that is freaking Godzilla. Yeah. I don't know if they just reused a rubber suit they, or what. It's pretty close. The and there's an episode where he fights a monster named Jiris, and Jiris is the 19 is the uh, the Godzilla 66 suit. With okay. a big frill around his neck, like a Dilophosaurus from Jurassic Park. All right. And then at one point, Ultraman actually rips the frill off. <laughs> and so it's Godzilla versus Ultraman. And, <laughs> and in fact, it's it's a little it's it's kind of it's kind of funny because uh, one of the very few monsters that doesn't actually get destroyed by the specium beam is is Jiris. Okay, and so he actually uh, he defeats him, and and Jiris uh, is laying there on the ground, and and Ultraman lays his uh, frill on top of him like a funeral shroud, actually, because they they the idea being that Subaraya thought it'd be bad luck to have his his TV star kill his movie creation. <laughs> so that's awesome. Yeah. Okay, good. Because I, I I knew I wasn't crazy when yeah. I was seeing that. I'm like, clearly this is well, Godzilla. You know the the monster Baragon from the Godzilla series first appeared in uh, Frankenstein Conquers the World, and then uh, made made basically extended cameos throughout the Showa series, and, and didn't reappear until the millennium the Millennium series uh, film. Um, you're gonna love this title. Uh, Godzilla, Mothra, King Ghidorah, all-out giant monsters attack. Best title ever. <laughs> it sounds even better in Japanese. Where it's <laughs> Gojira, Mothra, Kingu Ghidorah, Daikaiju, Shoshin Geki. But uh, 
Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, while Darth Vader kills a bunch of rebels and they all team up and Luke Skywalker and Han Solo fight them all. That's the name of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> but Bar- the, the Baragon suit, because it was one that could go from being a quadruped to a biped, mm-hmm. anytime they needed a quadruped on Ultraman, they would break out the Baragon suit and put a new head on it. <laughs> so... <laughs> I mean, Baragon was supposed to appear in, like, six different movies in the Showa era. Couldn't do it because the suit was over on the Ultraman set being spray-painted and having a new head put on it, so... Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Sometimes while the guy was wearing it. There's a... Uh, the, the suit actor who played a lot of the monsters once... Uh, one of the suit actors had a quote that... Sometimes the staggering gait for some of these monsters was not intentional. It was just, I was in the suit while they were spraying it. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> That is so funny. Yeah. Now, in Ultraman Saga, like, the, you saw all the Ultraman hanging out, and the older ones, and they all had, like, showed their human forms. You know, the, were those the actors from, like, the old movies? Absolutely. Or, or shows? Yeah. That that was the other thing that, that I, again, I saw, like, uh, that special you talked about, Time Crash. Yeah. And Peter Davison comes back, and, and he's older, and they explain it away as, oh, it's a, it's a temporal thing because we're both here at the same time. Which, to my question is, wouldn't David Tennant look older, too? But again, well, he had been older in the previous episode, the one with the master. Oh, fair enough. Uh, timey wimey, wobbly. Er, whoops, I got it wrong. Wibbly wobbly, timey wimey. Specium beam would just solve all these problems. The ma- you know the master's plan wouldn't have worked. Ultra Seven goes in there, cuts them down with the uh, eye slugger. Done. Easy. Five Sonic, screwdri- Sonic screwdriver versus the eye slugger. Who wins? Eye slugger. Easy. Sonic screwdriver only has has an effective range of what? Like three feet. Ice Slugger can be thrown for like 100 feet in the air. Plus, he's all giant. De- all depends on what they need for the episode, brother. That's how, that, <laughs> that's how the Sonic Screwdriver works. All depends on what they yeah. need for the episode. But, uh, uh, yeah. So, but, uh, yeah, but in, in the Ultra series, any time that one of the previous Ultras would reappear, their actor would reappear, and it would be the actual actor. Uh, that's cool. There was a series, a, a very short series, actually, but a pretty neat one, uh, that came out in the mid um, double O's, as I've been calling them, because I, I like the pun. Uh, came out in 2007 called Ultra 7X. And this was a, a pseudo-sequel to Ultra 7. It takes place in the modern day, but this isn't much of a, of a spoiler. It takes place in another dimension, where the, where the Earth is kind of like the Earth from 1984. Mm-hmm. And so the you know information is very tightly controlled, and you know, uh, everybody kind of goes through their lives by themselves, and, you know, they're told, you know, messages flash across the big screen, says, it's a beautiful day, you should be happy, you know, and all things like that. But, um, at the at the very end of that, we get to see not only Dan Moraboshi, but Anne, who has since, that two characters have since become married, and they're the same actor and actress who played them, and they get reunited at the end of the series, and it's a great little coda, and again, it's a, another callback to the original Ultra 7. That is yeah, a- I was going to ask. I was going to ask about that. So, obviously, that one's in a different dimension. But do all do all the other Ultraman series take place in the same shared universe? Like when you get to, I don't know, great violent monster fight in 1969. <laughs> do do they remember? Like, do the characters be like, "Oh yeah, Ultraman used to help us," and then yes. another guy who looked just like him called Ultraman Seven helped us? Or is it like every time it appears, it's like the first time they've ever heard of him? No, they all they all, with very few exceptions, all take place in the same universe. Okay, because and- I know like Transformers. Every time there's a new Transformers show, it's the first time the Autobots have ever come to Earth, for well, the most part, usually. But, you know, and again, I, I hate to correct you, but I absolutely have to. That only became true after the Beast Saga ended in Transformers, you know, because all... Well, the- wait, but you had... 
You had you had, Tra- you had, you had Transformers. Yeah. Then you had Beast Wars. Wasn't that the first time they came to Earth as well? No, it, no but Beast. the thing with Beast Wars is that Beast Wars starts in the future, several thousand years after the end of G1. Oh, okay. They, now, I know they, Beast Machines followed that. Yes. But then when you get to, like, yeah, I don't like know Robot, what the hell is, Energon or whatever the yeah, hell it was called, that was a whole new start. Yeah, they, they and they're established as being in their own universes in the larger Transformers canon. Just like yeah, the and then you get then you get Transformers Prime. Yeah, they're all they're all on their own, right? Yeah, exactly. Everybody after that was like in their own universe. Yes, I, I thought Beast Wars was its own universe as well because Earth was a you know a screwed up place and everything. You know, well, what and and again, not to get too sidetracked, but the thing with Beast Wars is that they start out in post Great War Cybertron, and then when they go back and they actually end up going back in time to prehistoric Earth. Oh, is that what they're in prehistoric Earth? Yeah. And okay. so at, that's at the at the end of season two of Beast Wars, they find the Ark. And it's got all the the G1 Autobots and Decepticons in it because they're still in stasis on prehistoric Earth because it's not 1984 yet. That's the end of Beast Wars. That's the end of season two of Beast Wars. There were th- that's freaking cool. Yeah, because well, I and again, I've watched like a good chunk of Beast Wars, and then I went right to Beast Machines, and I loved Beast Machines. Yeah. Well, the the and again, spoilers for anyone who's never seen Beast Wars, but the end of season two of Beast Wars is uh, the Beast is the Predacon Megatron. Uh, mm-hmm. Taking his, this is Transmetal Megatron. This is second form. He takes his cannon and blows a giant hole in Optimus Prime's chest. In the past, so hmm. so what he and then a basically a time vortex. You know, again, just to connect it to Doctor Who, uh, springs up and he says that he's changed history and the Decepticons won the Great War, so you no longer exist. Oh wow! Cliffhanger. You know, cue to you know. Teenage Luke's jaw hitting the floor and going, "Oh my god!" Right? <laughs> oh my god, you guys, you're not gonna believe it. You blew my mind. This is amazing. <laughs> oh, how are they gonna get out of this one? Huh? Here's your taco, <laughs> sir. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're a bit off the reservation yes, here. Let, let's bring this to a close with Ultimate Doctor Who. Yeah. Well, I, I did just. Um, uh, I wanted to ask you one thing. One thing that Ult- the Ultra series is really known for is its merchandising and toys, especially. Sure. And, and I've seen some modern Doctor Who toys. I know they, they're doing like a Lego style line now, and you can get my, my friend Adam has a TARDIS lunchbox. <laughs> and uh, in fact, somebody just the other day at work asked him, Is that bigger on the inside? Brilliant. <laughs> but uh, so, um, you know, and, and was Doctor Who ever really merchandised a lot for toys like, like in, back in the day, or is that just kind of a modern thing? Uh, it's a little bit of yes and no. Uh, the Daleks in the 60s explosion of Dalek merchandising. I mean, a literal explosion of Dalek merchandising. They had their own comic strips in the newspapers or or, manga, or like TV Guide type stuff. They had Halloween costumes. They had wind-up toys. Huge explosion of Dalek merchandising. Not a lot of Doctor Who, TARDIS, Sonic Screwdriver merchandising, but a lot of Dalek stuff. Then in the 80s, the novelizations that you were you mentioned earlier you were reading, there's an explosion of those. Those were wildly popular, the novelizations. But beyond that, again, not a lot of merchandise. It was pretty much books and Daleks. And then come 2005, when the series came back, you got a little bit and a little bit. And then, you know, I don't know about in England, but I'd say in the United States, just since Matt Smith came on board in 2010, there's been an explosion explosion of merchandising yeah. over here. I mean, I this Christmas, it was crazy, dude. I mean, I went to a very common bookstore we have down here called Books a Million, and there is a huge, enormous Doctor Who display full of merchandise. 
whether it be little tardises or you know uh, adiposes or Daleks or scarfs or games or puzzles and all this crap. And I swear I could never get to that display because it was swarming with people. <laughs> it was like. What? For thirty years, I've been hiding in a closet. That doesn't. That doesn't. Oh, sound right. I'm, I'm, thirty years, I have been a, a fan of the show and have kept it quiet because I get made fun of. Now, all of a sudden, it's like hip and everyone's into it. It's the weirdest damn thing. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at a Doctor Who TARDIS. That's actually a Yahtzee set that I bought the other Yahtzee day. Yahtzee set. I think I saw that the other day. I love me some Yahtzee. Oh, anyway, so. Um, it's wild now, but yeah. So I would say in the '60s it was pretty, primarily Daleks, and then uh, it wasn't until the new show that it just got big. What about Ultraman? Obviously, I mean, I, I even mentioned the '90s. We were selling uh, some, you know, tough metal, tough plastic toys of these characters. Yeah, the uh, for a long time in Japan, uh, toys were either made out of tin or vinyl because those were the materials they could get easily and cheaply. Mm-hmm. So you didn't you got if you got a die cast it was like a little car like one of the ultra garrison cars something made out of tin, and for a long time the monsters were were made out of vinyl. There's an outfit called Bullmark, and there was Popey and a couple others, and they'd be they'd look sort of like the monsters, but they'd be very kind of little deformed and silly looking. Yeah, and they weren't great representations. Now they fetch big bucks because the collectors like them. Uh, Bandai, uh, one of the two, it's Bandai and Takara. Basically, are the they're like the Hasbro and Mattel of uh, of Japan. Okay. Pretty much, if you make a toy, it's coming from either you know Takara or uh, Bandai. Which is funny because Bandai makes like the combining robots for the Super Sentai, which is what becomes uh, Power Rangers, and Takara, of course, makes Transformers. So. <laughs> uh, now, Bandai were the ones we sold in our store, by the way, yes. in the nineties. And and Bandai started making their vinyls, which were striving to be they and they made vinyls for Godzilla and Ultra and Ultraman and Kamen Rider and and other just Tokusatsu shows and they strive to make them really show and movie accurate. Mm-hmm. So they're not superposable. No vinyl ever is, but they cost about they usually cost about 700 yen, which is about 7 bucks. And and they're not they might have articulation at their limbs. But yeah. they're but they're really really accurate when you look at them. They look really close and they've only gotten better. Uh, I've got a, a small army of vinyl monsters, and again, that sounds as bad as you being in the closet for 30 years, really. Uh, <laughs> small army of vinyl monsters. <laughs> <laughs> but the, you know, they, and they stand about about uh, oh, about you know six inches tall, and there's just and they're just monsters, and they're they're sold off of pegs. You know, just they have a little hook coming out, a plastic hook coming out the back of their head, and they're sold off of pegs in Japan. And for a long time, that was kind of the knee plus ultra, no pun intended, of ultra style toys were the vinyls you know and they weren't really posable or anything like that a couple of years ago um there's an outfit called tamashi nations and they are partnered through bandai and they make a couple of different toy lines they make sh figure arts sh monster arts uh and they make a line called ultra act and these are hyper posable collectors aimed uh action figures of ultra characters and they've got usually about um, about 35 to 40 points of articulation. Uh, they've got multiple hands and multiple effects pieces you can attach to them. So this is now kind of the high end 
what what the toy lines moved into is kind of the high end side. So you've got your cheap stuff, your vinyls that you can have if you want something that's inexpensive or you want to give to a, a child, and then you've got your collector stuff where it's these ultra acts that are going to be the death of me because they're so awesome and they're so damn expensive. <laughs> and, you know, you and you mentioned that you, there's all this great merchandise and you can't get to it because of the as a massive humanity around it. The ultra acts because they're imports. You can only usually only get them by buying from Japanese websites. So when the pre-orders go up, people literally camp out at their computer to try and get pre-orders of the more popular characters. Oh wow! I mean, Ultra Seven, Ultra Seven retailed for about forty dollars, about forty to forty-five dollars. He now goes on the secondary market. The cheapest I've ever seen him is a hundred and twenty dollars on the secondary market. Dude, that's insane. It is, and but it's like, but people pay it because it's like, it's I gotta have Ultra Seven, you know, I got I gotta have all the old, the original Ultra Brothers. I mean, Ultraman Ace, Ultraman Ace is going for like seventy five dollars. I'm like, I love Ultraman Ace. I cannot drop seventy five bucks on a toy. You know, <laughs> I, I, I went live. through a similar phase when the Doctor Who stuff they started cranking out the action figures. They sort of, you know, I bought I bought a good handful of the action figures at first, probably. I mean probably as many as 20 I don't know and the prices were just like starting to get painful and they were cranking out more and more and more and I'd be like well I'll just get real more particular and it still became difficult so then I was like alright I'm going to start backing off then they released the classic Who line it's like oh crap yeah, this is the stuff I really want so I went ahead and I spent something like 80 bucks or something like that to get a set of all the doctors you know and I had already owned like three of them, so I, I paid the eighty bucks was like for the other, whatever Seven, eleven minus yeah. eight three is because that's hard math for me. <laughs> eight uh, for the other eight figures, and it's like, oh god, I can't bring myself. But I did it, you know, and I, and that's kind of where I've stopped, just because I've had to kind of go cold turkey. Otherwise, it's going to be every three months. You know, there's a new case coming out. And I want to get the whole case because oh, they, they they come with extra little pieces. You build and connect to make the giant robot that fought Tom Baker. Oh my god, I gotta have that. <laughs> You know the Kettleman robot. How could oh, I not God. live without that? Oh yeah. Well, what what I've found myself doing is they're they've basically they've made most of the Showa Ultras. I haven't bought any of the modern ones, so I'm not getting into that because all the modern Ultras have like two or three extra forms. And, sure. they'll, and they'll make all of them. It's like, I'm not buying Tiga three times. I just ain't doing it, you know? <laughs> got to draw the line. But I'm trying to get just all the originals, all the Showa ones. And I've got Ultraman and Ultraman Leo, and I've got Ultraman um, uh, Taro coming when he gets released. But the they also have done a few monsters. They've done, like, uh, Gamora and Ella King, and the monsters are all because they're bigger and they're not built off the same buck. They are, they are damn expensive. I think Ella King's retail was like 120 bucks, and I'm like... I'm not doing it. And so what I've How done is... How tall are they? They're, they're to scale, so they're probably about, you know, uh, six and a half inches, like, head to toe, but then, like, Ella King's got a really long tail. So it's, okay. it's pretty... I mean, it's a giant box that he comes in, but my what I've done is I'll say, okay, I'll buy my Ultraman as Ultra Axe, but I'm going to buy my Monsters as Vinyls. And mm. maybe I can split the difference, where if I drop 40 bucks on an Ultra Act and then $7 on a vinyl, I don't feel so bad. <laughs> Now you just need to find someone that has one of those big um, train sets in their basement yeah. with like all the little, you know, the little tiny miniature town little train set, and just use the toys on those and be like, oh, you know, smash up the town. Oh yeah, we've been there. I had monsters destroying Brio sets for years. So <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, uh, so uh, just let me just just you know, I think we're gonna wind it down here. But any any other questions you want to ask about Ultraman or? or uh, anything that's come up in your viewing that you're curious about or anything like that? 
No, just, you know, in, in the realm of Ultraman, you know, I mentioned as a kid I watched Spectre Man, you know, and like, I don't know whether Spectre Man was a knockoff of Ultraman or Ultraman was a knockoff of Spectre Man. I don't know which came first. Ultraman came first. Okay. Yeah. Like, is there a whole legacy of knockoff shows to Ultraman like Spectre Man and stuff? Yes. There, really? There is. There, There's not... In, in Japan, uh, there's a lot of Kyodai hero shows. Some of them were made by Subaraya, like um, Iron King was one of them. And uh, there's, a, there's a few others where they were made by um, Gridman. I don't know if you remember the, uh, the show from the 90s, Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad. No! Okay, <laughs> well, imagine if you take Ultraman and cross it over with Tron. Ooh, okay. So, where basically our hero fights me- uh, virus monsters in the computer world. That's pretty cool. It actually is pretty neat. That show was called Gridman, and like I said, it got brought over here um, during the the first wave of Power Rangers Mania as Superhuman Samurai Cyber Squad. So there's been other ones that they've done, but like Toho has done a few. Uh, The character Jet Jaguar from Godzilla vs. Megalon was originally supposed to have his own show. He was going to be a, a, a giant, uh, a Kyodai hero. He would have been a giant robot instead of a, an alien. Uh, there was, um, uh, I said, there's Spectra Man was one of them. There, there was a few others of just giant heroes like that or giant robots. Uh, Daitetsujin 17, uh, which was created by the creator of Giant Robo and uh, Gigantor. Uh, okay. That, that was another one that was, again, kind of a, a Kyodai hero. There, there are a bunch of them. Well, it, so Space Giants was kind of one also, wouldn't you say? Space Giants kind of was, was in a weird position that it came after Ultraman, mm-hmm. but was... It, it was I think I want to say Space Giants was actually done by Subaraya because while they were preparing Ultra Seven, they did uh, space. Uh, Ult- that's when Captain Ultra and Space Giants both came out. So much like there was the Dalek Mania in yeah. the uh, in the UK, there was a Monster Mania going on in Japan in the mid '60s as well. You know, Godzilla had hit big. The Gamera series had started. We were getting some of the smaller films like Gappa and. Um, uh, Giala, or X from the X from Outer Space, as it's mo- known in the U.S., and we were getting a lot of these science fiction shows with monsters. So it was just kind of the it was kind of the hip thing to have a science fiction show with aliens and monsters in it. So there is a, quite a number of shows that fit these these genres. And it wasn't too much later, you know, that we got Common Rider, and then the Super Sentai, and Space Sheriff Gavin, and all of your other Tokusatsu series that endured for years and years. Now, out of all the uh, Zuzu shows, is is it Common <laughs> Rider that's your favorite? Because you talk about that one a lot. Is Zuzu really? <laughs> is Zuzu? No. Ult- of, of all the Tokusatsu shows, Ultraman is is my favorite. Common Rider is. I like the original Common Rider. The modern Common Rider stuff so, as a. I'm going to say it a little odd, a little weird. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but uh, it's no. It's not that it's a little weird. It's just the the modern Common Riders are. They're I don't know they're, they're hard to explain they I think they appeal to a younger demographic than me at this point. Uh, they're they're I, I go on there's a board I love called TokuNation.com a great Tokusatsu uh, board and I'm the oldest guy there by like ten years. You know? Oh jeez! And all the guys are like, oh man, I don't know if I should get this ship to my house or to the college. And I'm like, really, <laughs> really? <laughs> so, but I mean, I grew up watching Godzilla, and so I was aware of Ultraman from a very young age. So, of all the Tokusatsu's, Ultraman is is my favorite. And of them, it's always a battle between the original Ultraman and Ultra Seven as to which is my favorite of those because those are just classic. All right, very cool. 
Well, for me, Doctor Who, uh, I, I am often torn between the classic and the and the current stuff myself. Like I, I love Peter Davison's probably my favorite because I've always kind of I've always sort of fallen in love with the era of the the quote unquote current Doctor. So when I was a kid, when I first started watching Doctor Who, even though I started on Tom Baker, Peter Davison was the current Doctor in England. Mm-hmm. So when I started watching his episodes, those were current, and that was pretty exciting. And nowadays, it's like, you know, Matt Smith is the current Doctor, and I'm just, I'm totally into Matt Smith, and I was totally into David Tennant a couple years ago. And so, and, and when, during the wilderness years, when we had no show, I was totally into uh, Paul McGann. Mm-hmm. So some of, those are some of my favorite, you know, doctors. Then it's Paul McGann, Peter Davison, David Tennant, and, and Matt Smith. So I, I I have a hard time making choices between the classic series and the new series myself. But um, I tend to default towards the original series more yeah. so. I do as well. I I think in a lot of ways it's again it, it's it's not the new stuff is aimed at us, but it's aimed be broader than us too. You know. Yeah. or either series uh, I think that again and this is not a knock on the modern tokusatsu stuff but I, I think I'm not in the target audience for shows like um, the, the current Super Sentai is called Koru Koru Ruga I can't even pronounce the damn thing I call it I call it Koru Ranger and just piss people off but I, I try watching it it's like okay this is fun this is not what I'm looking for though you know, yeah, and and I I get that sometimes with, you know, it's just it's just the way it is. I grew up watching Showa Godzilla movies, so I like Showa era, you know, pre nineteen eighty five stuff like that. It's just just the way I am. So now I I, di- I did want to ask you um, just, you know, if put a put a gun to your head, who's your favorite doctor? Uh, David Tennant. David, it's David. it's not the answer I would have gave you a few years ago, but it's the answer now. Okay, that's fair. Used to be Peter Davison. Yeah. And it was about probably probably during the Donna Noble era yeah. of is it's like it's it, it became Tenant so and I, I and I, I can see that because I love Donna Noble I love her and her and, and Tenant's adventures together were a lot of fun oh they're brilliant and, absolutely wonderful what yeah, about you uh, for Doctor or for Ultra both for Doctor it's Colin Baker and that's and, right and okay. the reason for that is. Again, it's it's kind of the it's kind of again. That's what I, I started when I started watching Classic Who. That's what I started watching, and and I like that he's kind of bombastic and arrogant, and he's he's more what I would expect an alien of his intellect and uh, and and you know tremendous cosmic power. Like I said before, to to behave, you know. I think you're trying to say more like you. Yeah, more like me, a bombastic, <laughs> arrogant jerk. It's perfect. That's where <laughs> I was going. And I, and I got to say, I mean, I love the tasteless coat. I really do. I don't know why I love the tasteless coat so much. <laughs> I will tell you, I like the blue coat era, but yeah. The blue, the, the coat, coats, is, the blue coat There's a lot era. to be said for it. Dude, at Gallifrey, the convention I went to, mm-hmm. there was a guy who had made a legitimate, like, fabric reproduction of the coat. Same materials, wow. every detail. It was astonishing. Yeah. I mean, I had seen similar coats. This thing was dead on, though. It was amazing. Had to be, like, a million degrees wearing it, though. Oh, yeah. It looks so oh, yeah. hot. Because that costume's got, like, uh, it's got, like, a waistcoat, and it's got, like, breeches over the pants and everything else. Oh, yeah. Uh, and and as far as favorite Ultra, like I said, it always is, is combat right now. It's Ultraman. And it's, I just finished rewatching the series. So many of my favorite monsters are in that. Um, you saw the, episode, the first episode, uh, Bemular, the monster from that. It's probably my favorite Ultra monster of all time. I love just the little skitty guy with the flailing hands that he can't use. Uh, in in uh, Ultra Galaxy Mega, in Mega Monster Battle Ultra Galaxy the movie, 
uh, showdown. Oh, love the name. Awesome. He actually, the, Bemular got a new suit for the first time since 1966, and so he actually had movable arms, and he actually, it wasn't just prop arms, it was the actor's arms. They're still like little T-Rex arms, but he could move them around finally, so I was so happy about that. And because he got a new suit, <laughs> he shows up a lot now in the movies and some of the, the, the guidance shows, which are the side story shows and stuff, so it's like, Bemular, yeah! <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. So are you gonna, are you gonna watch some more Ultraman? You can be honest, I'm you know, not gonna be offended I, if I you probably that. won't seek out the original Ultraman series on, on Hulu. Okay. But if I were to stumble across Ultraman 7, based on everything I've heard, I would give it a try. And if I could find the rest of Ultraman Saga from 2012, you know, in subtitles, because again, they, this person had done 20 minutes of the subtitles and then stopped. <laughs> I mean, the movie kept going. Yes. It's just there were no more subtitles. Uh, I would probably watch the rest of that because I was kind of getting into that. So, or or even if if Ultraman Zero stuff is is equally as interesting, I might catch some of those because that was kind of fun. Yeah. So. That's probably where I'd go. Unless you were to contact me and say, dude, there's something that, you know, my my home is Earth, quality uh, in Taiga or something like that, and say, check that out, I would probably seek that out. But I'm not, I don't know that I'm going to become an incredibly active um, Nissan viewer uh, of films. You know, that, that, one, that one was weak. I'll give you that. Yeah. I really liked uh, Daihatsu. That Daihatsu was my favorite. Daihatsu. You could have gone with Dotson. I think that would have been better. <laughs> it would have been Showa also, you know, but, well, and, and you know, I, I still seek out old school Doctor Who when I can. I At one point, I, I rented Trial of a Time Lord, and yeah, I started, with that. well, I, I again, I like I like Colin Baker, and I started watching it, and I was really enjoying it, and my, and my wife's like, well, it's, you, you rented Doctor Who, and she's thinking, you know, Chris Eggleston, actually, not even that, she's thinking David Tennant, she's going, I go, sure. She sits down, we get five minutes, and he goes, I'm not watching this crap, and gets up and walks out. <laughs> Like, you know, my six-year-old watched Talons of Wang Chiang with me. <laughs> riveted. Talons of she Wang Chiang, right. riveted yeah. and watched the whole thing. <laughs> That's great. Three hours long, she watched the whole thing. Yeah. And then when my 13-year-old, back when he was probably about seven or eight, sat down and watched a Patrick Trotten black and white The Mind Robber Ooh. with me from start to finish. Two hours of that in black and white, and he was in. But completely. Well, I know my boys want to watch uh, stuff with, well, like, want to watch Ultraman just because just they want to watch monsters. Sure. I remember um, uh, last year when my parents had come to visit, and I had just gotten a package of a plushy Bemular and a plushy monster named Gessera, who looks like a big anthropomorphic fish. Okay. And they're only about maybe five inches tall, and they're super deformed little, they're claw grabber prizes, you know? But oh, okay, yeah, they're, yeah. They're super cute. And they're plush. I had them sitting on my computer desk, and I'm sitting in the living room talking to my father, and my older boy comes in, and he goes, Daddy, I found these monsters in your room. <laughs> and he's hugging the two monsters. I found these monsters. And any time I'd, ha- I'd get a new vinyl monster, I would leave them up on, we have a mantle above our fireplace, I'd leave them up there for a few days, and they'd be like, Daddy, can I play with that monster? What's his name? I want that monster. It's like, okay, here's Tyrant. Go play with Tyrant. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> now, have you let him watch any Ultraman yet? No, no, I, I haven't. I don't think they... I think it's a little beyond him still. My my boys are not even... My, my oldest isn't even four yet, so... you know. I'm actually looking at this wonderful Christmas card you sent me last year of them with Santa. Oh. At, uh, an adorable little picture. Yes, I'm, I'm glad you got it. Uh, so, yeah, they haven't yet, and, and my wife is a little hesitant to have them be as into monsters as I am. 
<laughs> but it's like, hey, you know, I'm I'm into monsters, and look at me. <laughs> dude, dude it's it's in the blood yeah. i'm telling you my kids are doctor who fans in fact tonight before you and i got on the phone uh we watched uh the the mid-season premiere that aired this weekend ah, yeah sorry we're you know pulling back the fourth wall the mid-season premiere of doctor who just aired and so we watched that the bells of uh saint john and uh had a blast with it cool kids, the kids love it they kids follow uh, you know the interests of their parents especially if it's something a little bit scary yeah, a little bit scary and a little, and with some neat stuff in it and monsters, you know. Yep. All right. Well, uh, Shag, I want to thank you for coming on. This has been uh, a lot of fun. Yeah, and, good uh, times. Yeah, and you know, definitely anybody out there, if if you haven't watched Doctor Who, give it a shot. And if you haven't watched Ultraman, give it a shot. And and if you're like me and you watch them both and get them confused in your head, seek professional <laughs> attention. You know. <laughs> so, right. There's medication for that. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Thanks a lot, Shag. Thanks for coming on. And um, uh, thank everybody for listening. So, uh, as I say in Earth Destruction Directive, keep them stomping. <laughs> Good night, folks. <laughs>
if you can find me. Now available, Two True Freaks t-shirts. See our website for details. Two True Freaks is a very proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can check that out at www.comicspodcast.com where you can hear our new episodes when we put them up. We are also members of the League of Comic Book Podcasts. For more information, visit comicbooknoise.com league. If you ever leave your house and you actually have friends, why don't you tell them about Two True Freaks? Thanks for listening. And join us every Monday for new episodes of Two, Two True, True Freaks. Freaks.